0: So we've all heard some end-of-the-world prediction at some point in our lives, right? Famous or are, are publicized on the news or through some article. Uh, it seems like every year there is someone who's trying to predict when the end of the world will take place. Just a few years ago, a guy by the name, a numerologist named David Mead predicted that on April the 23rd, 2018, that the world was going to come to an end. He based this on the fact that on that date, the sun, moon, and Jupiter, which supposedly represented the Messiah, that they were going to be in Virgo, which supposedly represented the Virgin Mary. And so based on that, he said the world was going to come to an end. Well, obviously that didn't happen. At the time this happened, Jonathan Sarfati of Creation Ministries International said this, referring to Meade, he said, these predictions are not consistent with biblical stories. Everything Meade said about April 23rd, he said last year, the year before. At some point, we have to stop believing people who keep crying wolf. Now, of course, that was a few years ago, but I've got some potentially disturbing news for you today, okay? Nostradamus predicted that this year, 2022, that the earth was going to be destroyed by a gigantic asteroid, okay? Does that bother anybody? Well, it shouldn't because he predicted the same thing for 2021, all right? And that didn't happen. Every year we see somebody or even someone from the past who tries to predict that the world is going to come to an end. Let me just highlight a few of of the previous end-of-the-world predictions that didn't exactly pan out. The earliest known prediction was by Tychonius in 381 A.D. So, I mean, from very soon after the ascension of Christ, uh, this just a few hundred years, people started predicting the end of the world. Then in 500 A.D., Hippolytus... Later predicted the same, or he predicted the same thing. Later predictions surrounded the first millennium, 1000 AD, 1009 AD, 1033 AD. Those were all popular dates, and of course, didn't happen. In 1997, let's fast forward closer to our time, Arthur Richard Noon predicted in his book, Ice, the Ultimate Disaster, that on May the 5th, 2000, the planets would align and caused melting ice to strike the Earth's equator. Didn't happen. We, many of us, were alive to remember the Y2K, right? Everybody thought that all the computers were going to crash, that planes were going to drop out of the sky, that the world was going to come to an end. A lot of people stored up tons of food and and all of these things because they thought, oh, it's going to be Armageddon. And then I remember, and like, like, our time zone was the one that counted. I remember being up at midnight. That was when I still stayed up till midnight on New Year's Eve. Um, and the, the clock struck midnight, and we were all like, well, I guess we're okay. It didn't matter that the tro- clock had already struck midnight in New York and on the East Coast, but we were all a little bit nervous because we didn't know what was going to happen. April of 2007, even closer, Evangelical leader Pat Robertson said that month and year is the end of the world. Problem is, it's one of several times he's done that, but he keeps trying. So give him credit for endurance, I guess. September of 2008, the large Hadron Collider fired up, and many people thought that the world's biggest atom smasher would create a black hole that would swallow the earth, but it didn't happen, Thankfully. October of 2015, Chris McMahon, the leader of E-Bible Fellowship Group in Philadelphia, warned that a fire would end the world. And when it failed to happen, he seemed shocked. I guess so, if you really believed it. There are all sorts of theories. And we laugh and we giggle, but people try to predict the world, uh, the end of the world. And it's been going on since as far back as 300 uh, A.D., um, you know it's 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 impossible for man to predict the world. And I've I had somebody say to me, and I don't know if this is necessarily uh, appropriate, but I, I just believe God has a sense of humor. And if somebody actually guessed it, he would change the date. You know, um, no one knows except God the Father. He's the only one that, that knows. And so. We should have a proper view of the end times, which is what this series is about. Let me give you two ways to look at the end times, okay? let me use this. I want to use this can of, I forgot what it is, black beans, okay? And any canned good, when you look on the back, you're going to see nutrition facts, right? Now, there are two ways that a lot of people view this. Some people completely ignore it, all right? If I'm honest, I'm probably in that camp. Some people don't pay any attention to it at all. Some people are completely obsessed with it, right? They're completely obsessed with nutrition facts. What's the best approach to a healthy diet, to achieve a healthy diet? Moderation, balance, right? The best diet and exercise specialists, fitness specialists are going to tell you that the best way to be in shape is to exercise and to have a balanced diet healthy diet. Balance is the right approach. And it's the same when we're talking about the end times. Some people are are ignored altogether. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to talk about it. And some people are completely obsessed with it to the point to where they end up making predictions that fail and mislead a lot of people who believe those predictions. So we need to have a proper, balanced, biblical approach to the end times. Specifically, today we'll be talking about the rapture when Jesus will return to take his church home to be with him. We need to have a proper perspective, and that's why in this, we're in this series. And our theme is End Times. We need to be encouraged and live with expectation. That's what God wants. What, what he's shown us in his word about the end times is not to cause us to live in fear. It's not to cause us uh, to run away from it. It's not to cause us to be obsessed with it. It's to encourage us that he is going to return and to motivate us to live with expectation while we wait. God has given us the information that we need to be prepared for Christ's return and to live faithfully as we wait. Now today we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You can go ahead and turn in there in your Bibles. Turn to there in your Bibles if you have them. Questions had risen in the church, the early church. Many of them when when they were thinking about, talking about the return of Christ, they feared that their family members and friends who were believers that had already died, they feared they were going to miss out on the return to Christ. And it caused them to mourn like those who have no hope. And so in response to this, Paul writes this letter. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he writes this section of his letter to encourage them and to give them the truth about the return of Christ. So we'll read verses 13 through 18 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 together, beginning in verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. They're grieving like those who've lost loved ones who aren't in Christ, as if they had no hope. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. He's saying, don't worry about those who are already dead. Matter of fact, they're going to go before us. They're first in line. For the Lord himself will descend from the heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So encourage one another. Be encouraged, right? Encourage one another. With these words, don't mourn, don't fret, or at least don't mourn without hope. Be encouraged by the truth. Last week we said that, or at least I said. Hopefully you agreed that the popular question of the day is: Are we living in the end times? That's that's the popular all that's going on in our world, all the chaos, all of the turmoil, economic and worldwide, otherwise the question is, are we living in the end times? The answer is, we don't know for sure. Could be, don't know for sure. I believe another popular question that's not just in our time, that question has been asked, are we living in the end times several times throughout the centuries? But I think one question that's popular is, is this life all that there is? Is this it? When I die, do I just become nothing? Is this all there is? I think a lot of people are asking their question that question. Well, what we see in God's Word, specifically what we see today, assures us, God assures us that the answer to that question is no. This life is not all there is. There is so much more. Matter of fact, this life pales in comparison to the life to come in many ways, in length, but if you're a believer in glory and in satisfaction and perfection, So the promise is that there is more. And we have three actions in this passage that we see that should give us encouragement. The first is this. There is concern for Christians in this passage. We see the concern for Christians in verses 13 through 15. Believers were concerned about brothers and sisters who had already passed away. Um, And the good news is, is that God is also concerned and he has done something about it. Paul presents a contrast here between despair and hope. You've heard the statement, what you don't know won't hurt you. Well, that may be true in some things, but not when it comes to biblical truth. Because we see these believers hurting because they don't know what's, what's happening to those that they love who had already passed away, who had gone on, uh, who had died. And they were hurting, they were grieving as those without hope. When it comes to biblical truth, not knowing will hurt you greatly. We need to know the truth. We need to allow the truth to transform us. We need to know the truth about life, about death, and about eternal life. Um, Ignorance of biblical and eternal truths bring a lack of comfort and all sorts of pain. And that was true true of the Thessalonian believers. From the Old Testament times until the present, Man has tried to solve the problem, the riddle of death and the afterlife. Answer the question, what happens when we die? Philosophers have wrestled with the question of immorality. Spiritists have tried to communicate with those who have gone on, who have died. Scientists have investigated the experiences of people who claim to have died and returned to life again. Cultists tell us, Some have have told us that we will come back again through reincarnation in some other form. But Jesus tells us the truth. He tells us exactly what will happen when we leave this world. We don't have to wonder about life or death or eternal life. We can know what will happen and know for sure with confidence. One thing that we know for sure is that Jesus has taken the sting out of death and the victory out of the grave. As a result, for the Christian, death is now referred to as sleep. We see that in this passage, that term sleep. It doesn't mean that they're snoozing, okay, taking a nap or whatever. That's death for the believer. What we see here, Calvin said this, he said this, the reference is not to the soul, sleep, the reference is not to the soul but to the body. For the dead body rests in the tomb as on a bed until God raises the person up. So Paul, in contrasting this world and the next world, writes that to him, life meant Christ, but death meant gain. All right, First, uh, Philippians 1.21, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So, so let's just break down what Paul Is saying here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, specifically. All right. He uses the word believe in verse 14. And that word believe, it, it means it represents trust, complete trust, reliance, leaning on someone, depending on someone. So let's look at it. He talks about commitment to Faith. First of all, to faith in Christ. He's talking about commitment as a whole in verse 14. Commitment to faith in Christ. Commitment says that I believe that Jesus died for me. All right, I believe that. A lot of people may believe that, but it says I believe Jesus died for me and he rose again. He's alive. He didn't just die, he didn't lay down his life. He's alive. I believe in the cross and in the empty tomb. The Bible's, if you want a definition for death, we have one in James two twenty six. It says, for just as the body without the spirit is dead. All right, he's talking about faith and works. We went through James to understand that. But that, just that phrase gives us a pretty good understanding. Death is when the spirit leaves the body. The spirit, the soul, goes on somewhere. But death is when there's a separation that takes place between the spirit and the body. At death, the spirit leaves, the body goes to sleep, and then the spirit, if the person has trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the spirit goes to be with the Lord. We see the, the promise in Romans ten nine: if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then we see the commitment of God to his children in Romans eight thirty five. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of sword? Then verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, or angels or rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ our Lord. So not even death can separate us from the love of Christ. He has saved us, he has rescued us, and he will secure us and keep us for all of eternity. Jesus died and rose again, Paul says in verse 14. Now this is important. Verse 14 does not describe Jesus as sleeping. It describes Jesus as dying. He died the death, which is the wages of sin, right? The wages of sin is death. He died that death, and because he endured the full horror of that death, taking on our sin, the wrath of God, all of that, he has now transformed death for his followers into victory. And and, and we have life because he took what we could not take and endure and defeat. Only God could do that, and Jesus did that. He died so that we could live. There's also a commitment to the future, our future in Christ, in in verse 14. In the same way, it says, through through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, this makes it very clear that the body goes to sleep when when the believer dies, all right? But the soul... The Spirit goes on to be with the Lord. I mean, think about it. How could Jesus bring them with him if they're they're not already with him, right? There's no soul sleep. That's a theory, right? That the soul just goes to sleep and basically exists in, in sleep until Christ returns. But this would contradict that because if they're with him, if he's bringing them with him, they're with him now, but we don't have to just depend on that. We know that Scripture teaches us that. Um, we know that 2 Corinthians 5.8, we are confident. We would prefer to be away from the body because to be away from the body is to be at home from the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. There's a Christian inscription in the catacombs that reads, Alexander is not dead, but he lives above the stars. His body, and his body rests in the tomb. And that's for us. We live... When the, when the Christian leaves the body, when death takes place, the soul goes to be with the Lord. The body goes to sleep. Great truth in verse 14. God will bring with him. He promises never to leave us nor forsake us, right? Jesus promised that. And this even further emphasizes that truth and the, the, the dependability of what God said, what Jesus says there. Right now, he lives in my life. He lives in me, through me, as a believer. For all believers, the Holy Spirit lives in us and through us. At death, he will walk with me through death, through that greatest valley of the shadow of death. And then, in heaven, I will be with him. Now, if I go before the rapture takes place, when the rapture happens, I'm coming with him, right, to be reunited with those who are still alive and who are in Christ. And all of this is climaxed with confidence. Verse 15. The word of the Lord. Paul's confidence rested on the authority of Jesus. In 2 Timothy 1.10 Paul says. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Who has abolished death. And has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. God's revelation is based on the historic fact of Christ's resurrection. He's alive and he's promised to return for for us and there's never been a promise that God made that he has not kept. We can be confident that he will return. This leads us to the second action we see in this passage and that's the actual coming of Christ and that should provide us with encouragement. The coming of Christ. Paul talks about the return verse 16 the Lord himself will descend from heaven After his ascension in Acts 1, the disciples are standing around. Two white-robed men appear to the disciples, and they say this in verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up to heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Jesus Christ is coming back again. Now, there are three unique sounds that we see in verse 16 we see the lord shout we see the sound of the trumpet and then we see the voice of the archangel now the lord's shout is a shout of command it makes it should make us think of jesus at the tomb of lazarus right and at the lord's shout the one who was dead came back to life john 11:43 After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And what happened? Lazarus came out. The Lord shouted. The dead were raised. The same thing is going to happen when Jesus returns. There will be a shout, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we read in John 5, 28. Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Then we see the sound of the trumpet. Now, the sounds of a trumpet were used in Israel to gather people for a journey. In the Roman Empire, they were used to announce a great person. The voice of the archangel. Of course, when the trumpets sound here, there's no greater person to be announced. And that's what's happening here. And to gather all of those who are dead in Christ for a journey. The voice of the archangel reminds us that the angelic host will share... The victory shout when Jesus comes. The coming of Christ involves the resurrection, verse 16 again. When Jesus returns in the air, he's going to call to himself only those who are saved through faith in him. And this is called the first resurrection or the resurrection of life. At the end of time, just before God ushers in the new heaven and the new earth, there's going to be another resurrection, the second resurrection, and that's the resurrection to judgment. What we're talking about here is the first resurrection the rapture of the church. And when he returns, he will bring the soul with him and he will, re, he will reunite the body in glory and, and with the soul and we will be one with him forever in glory. Now, you, you may ask the question, okay, what if somebody was cremated? What if their body was not whole? We're talking about a recreation, a resurrected body. All right? So if God can create... The body from dust, don't you think he can recreate a much better body for eternity? So it doesn't matter what happens to this body. All of us, in some way, our bodies are going to deteriorate before we leave this world. And I, for one, am thankful that I'm going to receive a perfect vessel to live in in all of eternity, right? I mean, the older you get, the more you realize just how flawed, how affected your body is by sin. And so it doesn't matter the condition of your body in this life. You are Yes, the bodies will be raised, but they will be resurrection bodies. They will be new. They will be perfect. They will be complete. We see Jesus returning. He descends from heaven. He awakens the bodies of those who have fallen asleep in him. In Song of Solomon 2.10, it says... My beloved spoke and said to me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. That's what he's doing. We will rise up and go away with him. The soul that he brings, the body that's resurrected, will be reunited for all of eternity. And then we see the catching away of the church. When Jesus comes again, we will experience the catching away of the church. In verse 17, we see the rapture. That word rapture, you're not gonna see that in this passage. You're not gonna see the word rapture. But that's what the word means. It means to be caught up. Verse 17, we do see that phrase, right? To be caught up. There are various meanings of the Greek word that's translated, caught up. Let's look at a few of them, all right? One means to catch away speedily. And that's what this is gonna be quick, all right? In the twinkling of an eye, it's gonna happen fast. It's going to be sudden, and it's going to be fast. We see this use in Acts eight thirty nine. the same use of this word when they came up out of the water. This is when Philip is, is uh, sharing the gospel with the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian saved. They go down into the water to be baptized, and then when they come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Same word, to be caught up quickly. The Spirit took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip was caught away. When Christ returns, we who are alive are going to be caught away quickly. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be quick in the twinkling of an eye. So the application, the motivation, I guess the encouragement for us is that we should live each day in expectation. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we do know it's going to happen suddenly. It's going to be fast. There's another meaning here. Another meaning of this word, to be caught up, is to seize by force. There's no greater power than the power of Christ, right? He has defeated death, and we will travel through Satan's domain, death. I mean, he is the prince of this world, power of the air. We'll travel through that, but by the power of Christ and what he's already done for us on the cross and through his resurrection, he will take us. It also means to claim for one's own self. Now think about that. This is viewing the rapture from Jesus' point of view. He's coming to claim what belongs to him. To take us home, his church, his bride, to be with him. And catch away also means to move to a new place. Put all of this together. He's coming. He's taking us. No one can stop him. We belong to him. And we are moving from this sin Affected earth to be with him in glory, the church. Hebrews twelve twenty two through twenty four, instead you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. But simply, our citizenship, if you are a child of God, if you are a believer, a follower of Christ, your citizenship is no longer on this earth. Right now, our citizenship is in heaven. We're just waiting for the transport. <laughs> we're trading, We're waiting to go there. And one day we will. The final meeting of Caught Up is this, to rescue from danger. Now this is, I don't believe a stretch, to suggest that this means, this is implying that the church will miss at least the worst part of the tribulation. There's a lot of theories on the tribulation. We're not going to go down that road this morning, okay? We could talk for an hour on the different views probably that exist in this room on whether or not we're going to go through the tribulation. The truth is, we don't know for sure. And the more I study it, the more my view kind of becomes fine-tuned and it's different now than it was 20 years ago. I think there's an argument to be made that we will be raptured before it ever begins. I think there's an argument to be made that we'll be raptured in the middle. I do believe we're going to miss the most intense part of it. And I think this speaks to that, this meaning of to be raptured. I do believe we're going to miss, at least I hope so, right? <laughs> I mean, if I'm honest, maybe that's just selfish of me not to want to suffer, But that's not the point, okay? The point is, even if we go through the tribulation, we're going to be caught up, we're going to be rescued from the disaster that's going to come on the world that is the unbelieving world, which should encourage us but should also motivate us to share the gospel with those who are lost because we shouldn't want anybody to go through what those individuals are going to go through. And we can read Revelation and see just how devastating it's going to be. Millions of people, those who are here who are not in Christ, millions of people are going to vanish instantly in the blink of an eye. There's going to be chaos. There's going to be confusion. There's going to be concern. There's going to be people trying to explain what happened. Alien abduction. I don't know. Any number of things. There's going to be explanations, plenty of explanations, but the true explanation is simply that Jesus just took his bride to be home to, home to be with him. And then in verse 17, we also see a reunion. You and I will meet the Lord in the air, in person. Think about that, face-to-face, meeting Jesus Christ, our Savior. What an incredible day that's going to be. The Greek word that's translated meet carries the idea of meeting a royal person or an important person, appropriate, right? And here we're reminded of a great truth, a wonderful truth. Death is the great separator, but Jesus is the great reconciler. He's able to reconcile us to himself through his death, his burial, his resurrection. If we turn to him in faith, we will be reconciled to him. We'll meet Jesus, but there's going to be another part of that reunion. We're going to meet those who have gone on before us who are also in Christ. Some of you are here today missing someone that you love dearly, grieving someone that you love dearly. And if they are in Christ, one day you will be reunited with that person. doesn't take the pain away today. doesn't take the grief away today. But there's hope, and that's what Paul... Remember the context here. These people are grieving as though they will not see those individuals who have gone on to be with the Lord again. And Paul's saying, no, let me tell you what's going to happen. There's going to be a reunion like no one has ever seen in this world. A reunion with your Creator and a reunion with those who have fallen asleep. Together with them we will be. In Jesus' earthly ministry, he performed... A lot of reunited with broke, reuniting with broken families, right? In Luke 7, 15, Jesus raised the widow's son from the dead. He delivered him to his mother. And one day when Jesus returns, he's going to be with us, and he's going to reunite us with our family and friends who have died in the Lord. Here's the question. We've got new bodies, right, in the resurrection. Are we going to recognize each other? Because we're not going to look like this. Are we going to recognize each other? Well, of course we will. And one of the ways we know that is the transfiguration. Think about that for a moment, okay? Matthew 17, verses 1 through 5. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured in front of them and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared to them, taking with him, uh, talking with them, rather. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you want, I will set up, now pay attention to this, I will set up three shelters here, Peter said. No one's told him who's with Jesus. He said, I'll set up one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well, p- please listen to him. This is before the resurrection, right? This is before all the things we're talking about, yet that Peter recognized Moses and Elijah. Had Peter ever met Moses and Elijah? No. Yet he recognized them. So in some way, they were recognizable. They knew, Peter, James, and John knew who they were. We don't have to worry about whether or not we'll recognize each other. We're going to recognize each other. If for no other reason we're all members of the same family, right? Believers will know each other in glory, including believers we have never met. It's going to be one big giant family reunion. And so, how do we prepare? All right? Where does the rubber meet the road here? We're still here. Jesus hasn't come back yet. We're waiting. We want to be encouraged. We want to live with expectation, we don't want to be obsessed to the point to where we're ineffective, or we're arguing over dates and times and all that other stuff. We want to live the way God wants us to live while we wait. So how do we live showing that we're prepared? One is that we are to be looking for His appearing. Titus 2:13 says, "Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of, of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ." One mark of a true Christian is that he's eagerly looking for the coming of Christ. Not sitting on a mountaintop somewhere waiting, but living constantly with that perspective, with an eternal perspective. We are to be loving His appearing. 1 Timothy 4.8 There is reserved for me, Paul says, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved His appearing. So what does this mean? Looking and loving, longing for the appearance of Christ. Does it mean obsessed? No. It means that we live in a way that shows we are expecting him to return at any moment. That we make sure we're prepared. And if we don't know when that's going to happen, the only way you know you'll be prepared is to live faithfully each and every day to obey what God has told you to do. Some of you may be at a point in your life where you're wondering what God wants you to do next. You don't know what the next step is. Well, there are some things that you know we all know we should be doing today, right? We should love the Lord with everything that we have. We should serve him faithfully. We should spend time in his word daily. We should pray without ceasing, continually. We should Share the gospel with those who need to know Christ. There's plenty to keep us busy while we wait. There are specific tasks that he gives us, ministries that he gives each of us that are unique, ministries that he gives the church to to accomplish in our Jerusalem and beyond. The Great Commission is not yet complete. That's why he hasn't returned yet. There are still people who need to know Christ. There are are things that we do we should be doing. Living in obedience each and every day is how we live prepared. It's how we live with expectation, waiting, looking, loving, longing for the return of Christ. Robert McMurray McShane said this. He was a godly Presbyterian preacher. He used to ask people, this was, he was just, I guess, randomly asked. Folks, this question. He'd say, do you think that Jesus is going to return today? And most people would say, no, I don't think so. Some maybe said yes, but most people would say no. And here was his answer. He would say, then my friend, you had better be ready for he is coming at such an hour as you think not. (laughs) So if you think he's not coming today, he might. (laughs) Because nobody knows. And there's a reason we don't know. We are humans. By nature, we are procrastinators. (laughs) We want what we want now. And if we knew, we would wait till the 11th hour and, and get ready. We would waste all of the time that God gives us to do what he wants us to do, to serve him, to glorify him, to spread the gospel. We would wait as long as we possibly could and then rush to get ready. And what a waste that would be. We should be encouraged, and we should live with expectation because we know he is coming. The rapture is going to be an incredible event. How do you know that you're prepared? Have you ever played with a magnet? I like playing with magnets. They're fun. All right, I've got a magnet. It's small, but this sucker's powerful, okay? Check it out. I mean, this is just a metal bar. It's actually a part of a bracket that I found. told you it was powerful that I found, I think we found it when we were moving Mandy's parents. I don't even know what it's a bracket. It's like a hanging bracket for something. I have no idea, but I know it's magnetic. Metal, a magnet attracts metal, right? And there are some things, I've got this clamp here. It attracts, this one's going to be harder to get off. (laughs) Metal, it attracts. The magnets attract, the metals attract to the magnet. What about a roll of tape? No. Cardboard on the inside? Nope. How about my can? Yep. <laughs> How about a piece of plastic? Some things are attracted to magnets, and some things aren't. Rubber bands? Nothing. Got a wrench. Tracks the wrench. All right. Metal. I got a couple of screws. All of them. Pretty amazing. It's fun. I, I'm not going to do this for too long, but I'm having fun right now, so y'all just bear with me. What about a pencil? All right. How about... Wouldn't handle, no rubber, no right, but the metal absolutely. Now, some of you, I'm not a scientist. Some of you could explain this far better than I could, but I'm just going to try to keep it simple for people like me who are out there in the audience, okay, or who are listening. Why are some things, doggone it, why are some things attracted to magnets and others not? Well, it all has to do with electrons, right? Electrons that spin and and rotate around an atom. And here's what I do know. I don't know, I, again, can't explain it all in great technical terms, but here's what I do know. When all the electrons are lined up in the right direction, something is magnetic. When a magnetic field is applied, all of them are lined up in the right direction, and it's attracted to the magnet. Some things are attracted, metal is attracted Because of the electrons inside of it that are lined up in the right direction. Wood is not. There are some things like this. It looks like metal. Sounds like metal. But yet, there's no attraction. Some things just aren't. There are some people who look like Christians. Who act like Christians. Would even say they are Christian but everything on the inside is not lined up. They haven't truly accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. But here's what's going to happen when the rapture comes. Only those things that are attracted to Jesus are going to be caught up. It depends on what's on the inside. Just like those electrons. I can't see them. I know they're in here. I know they're in matter, but I can't see them. You and I can't see them except under a microscope, maybe. And you know, but that we know they're there, because of what happens, what I'm showing you, Jesus Christ, when we become believers, places something, someone inside of us. I can't see it, you can't see it, but we know it's there. It's the Holy Spirit, His presence in our lives. We see displays of it in people serving and people's working and all of these things. We see His work, but we can't see the Spirit of God. We can hear him, we can feel him, but we can't see him, but we know he's there. And only those people who have the Holy Spirit of God in them will be caught up. There is within us the spirit that longs for Jesus, that is attracted to our Savior. And one day when he returns, we will be attracted and be reunited with him. We'll be caught up together to be with him. Now, I want to finish with this. The question is, are you prepared? Will you be caught up when Jesus returns? Fanny Crosby wrote the hymn, To God Be the Glory. And it says this, or part of it says this, Great things he has taught us, great things he hath done. And great are rejoicing through Jesus the Son. Now listen to this. But pure and higher and greater will be our rapture, our transport, when Jesus we see. For the believer, that's what we have to look forward to. For those who are in Christ, one day he's going to return. Those who are dead, those who are alive, will be caught up together with him. A great reunion with our Savior. A great reunion with those who, who are in Christ, who have gone on before us, you don't want to miss that reunion. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then you don't have it within you what will attract you to Jesus. But you can. He died for your sins just like He died for my sins. He offers you salvation just like he offered it to me at the age of seven. And thankfully, praise God, I turn to him in repentance. You can turn to him today if you don't know him. You can cry out to him wherever you are in this building, at home, wherever you are. You can cry out to him, whatever your situation. Doesn't matter how bad you've been, the things that you've done or the things that's been done to you. God can save you and set you free from sin. And give you hope and assurance and encouragement in this life. And the assurance of knowing that one day you will go to be with him. But he will not force it on you. He will not make you choose him. He will let you choose him but he will not force you. So will you accept him today if you haven't? The offer is for all who would turn to him in repentance. And who knows... Maybe there's just a few more people that he's waiting on to accept him, and then he will come, those clouds will part, we will hear that shout, we will hear that trumpet, we'll hear the archangel, the voices, and we'll be with him for all of eternity. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you've given us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for giving your life, for paying the price for our sins, dying the death that we deserved, and defeating death and being raised from the dead so that we can have victory that you've accomplished over death. And we can have the promise of knowing that one day you will return to, be, to, to take us to be with you. That one day we will be reunited with you. That one day we will be reunited with those who have gone on before us. We can have hope in this life beyond the temporary, the difficulties, the trials. Yes, there's joy and there's happiness in life. But there are trials and tribulations as well. But we can live with hope and with joy because we know. That this life is not all that there is. For the believer, it's just the beginning of life eternal in glory with you. But even for the unbeliever, Father, we know that when our soul is separated from our body, that soul is going to go on somewhere. And for those who are not in Christ, that soul will go on separated from you in hell. It sounds cruel, it sounds callous, but it's just the truth as is spelled out in your word. And we don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. And I know you don't. So if there's anyone in this room or watching from wherever they are online who's not accepted that free gift of salvation, Holy Spirit, just bring them under conviction. Draw them to yourself. Show them their need for you. Father, I pray that they would cry out to you. For forgiveness of sin that you offer, for salvation that only you can offer. Lord, save them, set them free. For those of us who are alive, may we live in anticipation. May we live longing and looking for your appearance, being faithful, running the race to not only finish but to win. God, thank you. Give us strength from day to day as we wait, as we look, as we long. For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. Would you stand for our time of decision?